Welcome to the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jones, former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization, and now helping high school baseball players in the recruiting process. In today's episode, my guest is Chase Gerbrick. Chase is currently a Division I college baseball player at Lipscomb University. I, I enjoy talking to uh, current players just because, you know, you're able to, to understand what, what it's really like playing college baseball. They recently went through the recruiting process. So they know, you know what some of the, the things going on in that landscape as well. So I always try to have on players every once in a while on the podcast for that specific reason. And so in this episode, you know, we're talking about what it's like to be a D1 college baseball player, what the day-to-day is like. Chase is a freshman at Lipscomb, so he talks about this past fall and what fall ball was like, some of the things that maybe he wished he would have worked on more before he got to campus. And so I think it's really beneficial for players to to hear other players who are currently a little bit ahead of them, a little bit older, and are at where they want to get to. And I think it's just the advice that they give can be really beneficial. So fans of, of college baseball, high school baseball, travel ball coaches, and and most importantly, players who want to play college baseball, this is going to be an episode you want to listen to. Right, if there's any other episode, this is going to be the one because you hear it from the horse's mouth, someone who is currently playing college baseball at the Division One level, and he explains what it's like, what his recruiting process was like, what worked, what didn't work. It's great, great content. Chase is a really great guy, and so happy we got to connect. For those coaches who are listening to this podcast and are looking for ways to evolve and get better, check out my weekly newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle, where each Tuesday at 9 a.m., I send out an email on ways to improve on the mental side of the game, develop better mechanics, drills you can do in a cage, and anything else related to hitting development. Head to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, to sign up for my free newsletter, The Hitting Chronicle. That's patrickjonesbaseball.com, and then sign up for my free newsletter, The Hitting Chronicle. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Chase Gerbrick. All right, everybody, we now welcome on Chase Gerbrick to the podcast. Chase is currently playing. So he's he's one of the very few players that, that we've had on the podcast. But Chase is currently at Lipscomb University playing there. Chase, appreciate you coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you, Patrick. I'm I'm excited to be here and happy to answer any questions that you have. So I mean, you're you just you're a freshman right now at Lipscomb, which is in Nashville, Tennessee. So I mean, first of all, like what's what's your take so far on on the college experience playing college baseball? Is all the hype real? Is it worth it? Give us, give us some insight. Yeah, absolutely. So, Patrick, number one, really good question. Yeah, certainly the, the hype is real, 100%. You know, you you get in there. Obviously, I had a really good summer season, so was feeling really, really good about where I was at and obviously still feel really confident. But you get in there and, you know, I would say that it, it humbles you a bit. Obviously, we got some some really, really good athletes on our team at Lipscomb. And, you know, our team is very, very good. So it obviously is, you know, for me, I've always been a baseball junkie. So love staying busy and obviously love baseball. So, you know, from the start of your day to basically the end of your day, you're going between classes and baseball, which is, you know, for me, everything that you know I, I could ask for. So obviously I love it. The, the atmosphere at Lipscomb is fabulous. And, you know, I would tell anybody who is a high school athlete or even youth athlete, you know, looking to play college baseball, that 
it is a grind, but if you're more focused on the process versus the results and you're focused on getting better and you're, you know, reaching out and that intellectual curiosity is there to always learn and want to be better. I would say college baseball, absolutely worth it. And, you know, from my fall so far, I'm absolutely loving where I'm at. What were some, what were some of the hard adjustments that you had to make this fall, like from the start to the finish? Yeah, I would tell you, Patrick, obviously, you know, coming from summer ball, you're playing with your age group, right? So, I mean, even throughout my whole life, 13s with 13s, 14s with 14s. And for me, somebody who started my freshman year in high school, you know, I didn't really see that as a big adjustment just because, you know, the competition wasn't really there. But you get into college, obviously, COVID year is there now. Juco guys get an extra year, a lot of guys red shirt, right? So now essentially you're playing with guys who are 24, 25 years old. And so when you're walking in, you know, I would just say not being as mature and experienced as some of these guys who have done it at Power Fives, done it at Jugos, and they're transferring in. Certainly, you know, you're seeing these guys effortlessly hitting balls 500 feet. And so that's the biggest adjustment. And you look at you know, all the players in, in the Dominican, you know, 14s are playing with 18s. And that's why those guys are so good because they're able to adjust to that really, really quickly when they get drafted because they've been doing that their whole life, right? So I would recommend, you know, if anybody's looking to play college, if you got an older sibling or if there's, you know, a program, start to get some work in with those upper tier teams so you can start to get adjusted and acclimated to, you know, what you're going to face in college. So, I mean, are, I mean, what's what's no BS? Are you, are you going to be starting this year come February? No, so I, I will not be starting. I thought my fall was really, really good fall. You know, we have you know, three, four of just absolute studs who, you know, Caleb Cachabar shortstop. He was all American last year, transferring from Georgia, Alec Gonzalez transferring from Tennessee. You know, he was a 10 star PG out of high school. David Coppage, I think he had 17 home runs this fall, transferring from Virginia. So we we got some dudes. And, he had and that's 17 a, home runs this fall. Yeah, yeah. It was it was some it was 17 or you know, he he had, you know, a number of them and he had a number of them last year as well. So he's got a great bat, great glove. And so for me, obviously a lot of people you know, we're telling me like, are you going to transfer? Are you going to do this? And, you know, I'm, I'm a no simply because I think I got put in a great position where I'm able to learn from, and I, I tell people this all the time, no bias. Looking at our infield, I think our infield is head and head with anybody in the country. When you look at Trace Wilhoyt, he's a transfer from Louisville at third base and your know, whole entire infield, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I look at it as a chance to get better and be, be able to compete with potentially the best infielders in the country, in my opinion. And, you know, when it's my time to, you know, come in, you know, injuries happen. And even when I'm sophomore, junior, senior, whenever my name is called upon, I'll, I'll be ready to go. So my, my job right now is to learn and continue to compete and just keep building on that. You're, you're like a broadcaster in the making right here. <laughs> I appreciate that. So what, what was the adjustment like went from just from moving away from home for the first time into yeah. dorms and, and balancing the whole just schoolwork and everything? Yeah, I will tell you, Patrick, obviously, another really good question. Obviously, being from Ohio, you know, the drive, and we talked about my parents do live in Kentucky now, but the drive was about nine hours. But for me, when I was in high school, you know, I wasn't really home. You know, I would, I would have coaching, I would have training, I would have, I would have to run camps on top of school and staying up with my academics. I was very big academically. So the adjustment for me wasn't really that big in terms of going, 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 you know, 
I did get a little homesick. We we had to go there early in the fall or early in the summer, sorry, to train with just me and the the other freshman recruits just to get acclimated. And so that was a bit of an adjustment. Obviously, you're dealing with 110, feels like 110, 115 degrees in the summer. And from Ohio, our summers are, you know, 75 and breezy. So that was an adjustment, obviously. But I mean, for me, I've, I've always been pretty independent and my parents have, you know, they didn't really coddle me growing up. So I've kind of learned to keep myself going, keep myself disciplined because they're not always going to be around, right? So for me in high school, that was the big thing was making sure I'm staying up with my grades, you know, working hard in the weight room and doing all the things right to get me prepared for that next level because I knew right when I got there, it was certainly going to be an adjustment. And so, you know, for me, it, it wasn't the biggest move, but, you know, the first three weeks, month in the summer, especially, you know, I was a little homesick, but after the summer, I thought that was great from by Lipscomb to get us there because once once we got there in the fall, we we were ready to go. We knew what to expect, and that was a really really smooth transition. What's something looking back that you feel like you should have focused more on heading into camp, heading into fall ball that that maybe you know you wish you would have worked on or just based on your experience now looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. But is there anything specifically that? you wish you would have worked on before you got to campus from just a, a development playing standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Number one, you know, I would tell you, Patrick, that w- when you're an upper tier player for your age group, it's really easy to get lackadaisical. So, you know, not not return to first base hard. You know, for me, my 60 was 6.65 in high school. So, you know, I, I was able to get a shallow lead and just take a base with catchers who didn't have, you know, the best pop time. So number one, you know, just, just the base running standpoint of it, it's you know, it's, it's eye opening. You know, I got there and it was our second scrimmage game. I got back pick at first and I was a little bit in shock. I'm like, all right, like that, that's on me. I was lazy. You know, I, I need to be better. And that was obviously frustrating, but not base running. I would tell you guys, don't take it for granted. Like hard returns back to first practice, your new school leads, old school leads, and really start to get a head start on that because base running wins games. You saw with uh, Wright State, when Matthew Tallarico was there, they stole bases. And when you steal bases, you put more of a threat on the pitcher and you get more fastballs off, can do more damage, right? So that was big. One thing I wish I knew more about was using the blast motion to my advantage in high school. I would tell guys to invest in that. What I would tell them to is just look at your bat speed, right? Because when you get into college, guys pump velo. And obviously, exit velocity is a big thing, but I'm more big on bat speed, how fast your barrel can you know accelerate through the zone to get to the baseball because number one, that's going to produce more exit velocity. But number two, when guys are throwing harder and you can't get your bat fast enough through the zone, you're going to start getting jam shots. And a lot of the time, it's not as easy as catch the ball in front. So I would tell guys, you know, start to just swing hard. I think we live in an age of like a lot of mechanical robotic hitters, which is great. But I think we got to get start to get guys to swing hard and learn to be athletic and fluid in that. And I wish that was something that I would have known back in high school. And I wish that was something that I would have worked on to be more prepared come the fall. And obviously, at the beginning of the fall was a little eye opening. But as I continued to work on it and got more experience with with the pitching side, you know, I, I started to have better results. So I think you know, swinging hard, being athletic, and just focusing on hit squaring balls up, bat speed, and not taking base running for granted, hard returns, getting faster, getting good jumps, and picking up on the little things that that pitchers do. So do you say bat speed solely just because you feel like you're, you weren't able to catch up to, to the velocity in fall ball? 
Yeah, and it, it wasn't really that. You know, I, I did square some balls up really well, but, you know, I wasn't as consistent as I like it to be as I was in summer and high school. But as I, you know, progressed in that bat speed and got to, you know, mid-70s, you know, it started to get a lot easier even when I got beat, you know, to drive something the opposite, opposite way instead of getting beat and hitting a foul ball or swinging through it. So I thought for me, that was the key. And a lot of guys struggle with bat speed. And when you started to see, you know, the measurements of bat speed go up for those guys, you started to see, you know, the team average of exit velocity going up, elevated ball percentage going up and just better quality ABs going up. So I think that's a key, just learning to swing hard instead of a lot of guys just focusing on mechanics. And I think there should be a good balance, but certainly starting to swing harder and training to be more athletic at the plate for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line and and a balance for sure because you got kids out there who once they start trying to swing hard, they pull that front shoulder out and they try to yank every single ball. And before you know, they have no adjustability. But I I definitely agree, especially at the younger levels, right? When you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, shouldn't be really too much talking about mechanics and more so just trying to build that engine and just letting it rip and, you know, giving yourself some external cues, if anything. So I definitely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, for me, that that was the biggest thing. Just I was a mechanical hitter all through high school. And when I got into college, that didn't so much work anymore because you don't have time to think when guys are pumping, you know, mid. We had a lot of guys in the mid 90s. And I think our average fastball for our staff was 92, 93. And that was the average. Really? We had a lot of guys you know, throwing mid to upper 90s. And so when you don't have bat speed and you're caught up thinking about What's he going to throw next? Am I getting in the right launch position? This and that. It's a little tough to get adjusted to that. So just. So you were just, you were overthinking too much. Yeah. Overthinking and, you know, just not, you know, not squaring balls up as, you know, good as I'd like to. But when I started to see progression with the bat speed with, you know, we did a lot of axe bat training, weighted bats. I started to square up a lot more balls. So I thought that was a big, big key for me. What was your exit velocity before and after doing all the bat speed stuff? Yeah, I, so we just got a hit tracks in, so I don't know what it is off like a machine right now. I, I think I hit, I was, you know, 101 my, was my max in a turtle on the field, which was about probably a month ago, month and a half ago, maybe on the field before I would say, you know, 93, 94, which was at DBAT. So good shin there. And I think if I can consistently live in the upper 90s and then, you know, pop those hundreds, you know, if I can get in game, obviously the ball's being thrown harder. So maybe pop some some really good hundreds. But I think if I could live in the mid 90s, upper 90s, I think that would be really, really good. How do you, how are you uh, going to be able to do that? Yeah, like I said, just, you know, continuing to train bat speed. I think I, I want to sit in the low 80s off tee and soft toss. So low we- 80s? Yeah, off off tee. Right now I've I've popped, you know, I'm I'm sitting like 78, 79.5, 79.6, but I think if I can get to 80, 81, 82, when you get in the game you're swinging, you know, about 85% statistically. So, swinging 85%, you get into the game, your bat speed's probably going to be low 70s, 7, you know, 73, 75 maybe. So, I just don't want my bat speed to be in the 60s and aiming for the 75 off the tee. So, if I, if I can adjust and continue to build my bat speed and get that to low to mid-70s in game, then I'll be hitting balls harder for sure. Now, Chase, you do realize that there's major league hitters who have bat speed in the 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. Bryce Harper, I think his average was was 68. But, you know, obviously, he's a really, really good hitter. And so, for me, obviously, going into it, bat speed, 
wasn't really my thing. I mean, I was coming in in the summer. I think my bat speed off off machine was 64. And then, you know, through the weighted bat speed programs that we've done, you know, leaving in the fall, I was popping, you know, 74, 75 off pitch, but off the tee, it's been really, really good. And I want to continue to build that off machine because when I get in game, I really want to build that bat speed to just hit balls harder. And I think for me, if I can get out of the thinking phase and more just do damage, I think I can be a threat, you know, as a switch hitting shortstop with, with some good speed. One of the other things that I forgot to touch on, I was very, you know, frustrated that I didn't learn to bunt and use that tool because obviously... For those guys who are quicker, you know, a lot of guys on our team who were quicker did that really, really well. And it opened up a lot for them, whether it was a base hit or they would bunt, maybe foul it off. You pull those corners, you pull those corners in and you're able to drive something past them. So I think that is something that, you know, going based off your previous question, mm-hmm. uh, I would definitely tell guys if you're a speedy kind of scrappier player, good with your glove, I would recommend, you know, bunting it and utilizing that tool to your advantage. So is that something that you're going to start doing in, in game when you get chance and get a chance? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely going to look to do that. And, you know, unfortunately, this team, any teams you're watching is probably going to build the scouting report. But I am going to look to do that. And I think, you know, even if they know it's coming, if you put the perfect bunt down, I, I'm a firm believer that you st- it's still troublesome to field. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I had a Baltimore Orioles scout. Eric Cormel was pretty high up there. Tell me at home. He said, even if you show it really, really early, and you place it firm, you know, you, you hit the, the grass lip and you place it firm down the line. Even if they know it's coming, it's it's troublesome for them to, you know, continue to make a play on that. So that's something that I'm definitely working on, you know, this winter, throughout the spring, throughout the offseason. If I can get that down, I think it'll be a really, really dangerous tool to have. So going going back to what we're talking about in terms of the bat speed and, and things like that, it sounds like to me, and again, this is just from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you were so mechanical that just give it, telling yourself to to increase bat speed to try to swing harder and and be athletic kind of gets you out of that mechanical mindset is that correct absolutely and you know just to build off that you know we we went through kind of the stats afterwards i think my chase percentage out of the zone was 9% mm-hmm. which was incredible i think i didn't i think it was only four balls out of the zone off all i swung at so our big thing was if we could get you to just be a little more aggressive and just do damage, we would rather that percentage, that chase percentage to go up, you know, to even 18%, 20%. If that means, you know, we're squaring more balls up and just the intent to do damage is there. So I think that that was really big. I did a great job knowing my zone. And like you said, just swinging hard and that intent to do damage really got me out of that mechanical mindset. What What are your thoughts on this upcoming season? Like what what's your vision for for yourself? Like what what do you anticipate happening? Yeah, that's a really good question, Patrick. I'll tell you right now, obviously you got some really, really good athletes in front of me, like we talked about. So obviously my job is, you know, to continue to prepare like I am a starter because you never know what crazy things happen. We just saw Brock Purdy with the 49ers third string come in and now he's looking like the starter. He's played a tremendous three games. So I think the preparation's got to be there. Like I am going to be a full-time starter. And, you know, if I'm not great, if I am great, you know, like I said, the preparation and the work still has to match that standard. And so if I can continue to do that, continue to, to learn from all these infielders who I think will be draft guys, all of them, then I'll be set to go whenever my name is called upon, whether that's next year, junior year, or senior year. So I think the big thing is just going about my work in a smart, consistent way and just preparing and continuing to learn from these older guys who have had a lot of success at Lipscomb and, and these bigger schools. What are, your, what are your goals in baseball? What do you want to do? 
Yeah. So my, my goal is obviously to get drafted. I think that would be really, really awesome. And, you know, I, my goal was to be a four-year starter here, but obviously, you know, we got some really, really good athletes, but my goal is to have a really successful career at Lipscomb. I don't, you know, plan on, you know, entering the transfer portal right now and, you know, just to be able to build and get drafted. And after, you know, whenever my baseball career ends, whether that's post-college or post-pro, I do want to be one of the best, you know, power five head coaches in the history of college baseball. That's always been my goal. I think that would be tremendous. That's always my dream. And I tell my parents that all the time. I think I could do a really good job leading a school. So in terms of big picture, that is really my big picture. Something that I'm really passionate about coaching. As you see with with the GP account there on Instagram, I'm really passionate about helping people, teaching the right things and leading in a positive direction. Now, your Instagram account, account and, and we'll we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes, but I think it's great, man. I, I really do. I, I mean, how how old are you? I am 19 years old. You're 19 years old. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, so just listening to you, you say my name when I ask you questions, things like that. Like, I pick up on that. Most people maybe wouldn't, but having, having done 280 of these, I can <laughs> tell when, when someone is 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 a pro. And so I commend you on that. That's very good. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I, and I mean, obviously I love, I love, you know, doing these podcasts and just cause like you said, I mean, it's a great time to just talk shop, communicate and just build new connect, new connections. And obviously you're a tremendous hitting coach. I watch your content all the time. So just being on here is is really, really cool. Can you take me through and are there, and all the listeners out there too, cause I'm sure we're going to get some players out there knowing that, that you're a current player on, on this episode. Take me through your own recruiting process. Yes, my my recruiting process really got off to a hot start when I was a freshman. So obviously, I, I was a switch hitter, so that had had a lot of a lot of attraction when you're switch hitting shortstop. So freshman year, I decided to you know put together a, a recruiting video. My dad hit me the grounders, mom taped, and my brother caught my, wow. my throws, and then we did a little hitting there. And I sent it out to if you look up college baseball RPI rankings, it's basically every school in the country. So I spent about six hours that night, every single school, and my goal was to email every school get my name out there and then narrow it down by location who responds to me. And the first response was actually Oregon State. And it was a year after they won the national championship. So I got on the phone with them and we took a trip out there. And that was really, really cool. So that was a great experience out there. And I still stay connected with those coaches who I've grown really, really close with and built almost like a family type relationship with those guys out there. You know, I've been to schools like Kansas State, you know, Xavier, a lot, all the Ohio schools. And the trips were really, really cool. But yeah, I got recruited, you know, a lot of the Pac-12 schools and all conferences besides SEC. You know, I was probably having about 20 phone calls a week. And my parents, you know, it was it was all on my own. So, you know, the first call I had, my, you know, my parents guided me through it a little bit. And then after that, they were like, hey, like, you're you're a grown-up now. You're gonna be doing these calls. So at a young age, they got me talking to people. And communicating with people because that's that's how the, the the workforce is as well. But it was a really crazy process. And for people who are going through that, I would say your best friend is emailing and using Twitter. You know, using Twitter and posting content on the regular. And a lot of people will email just a few schools and they won't do it consistently. I was emailing probably two times a week. Sometimes I even sent the same email because you think about it, these Power Five schools are getting hundreds on hundreds on emails probably per day. So you needed to, to essentially bother them to get your name to stick a little bit with an attractive subject line, a well-written email that's brief but informative with video. So I would say using a Twitter, building up you know some followers and following these coaches and emailing was, is, was huge for me. 
How many schools did you email? Or how many emails do you think you sent? Because I know you said you sent multiple emails to the same school. Yeah. Like, are you talking per week emails? Yes. Yeah. Per week and then overall. Per week, probably close to, you know, 100, 150, 100, 150. Per week? Per week. Yep. And, you know, you can ask my parents, like, I I would go in the family room and I would be on the computer for about four or five hours. And I tell people that all the time. Something about me is I'm I'm really driven. And when I have my mind set on something, like, I I just go do it. And that's something about me. But total, I mean, it had to be close to, you know, a thousand. It was a lot. It was a lot. I I love it. I love it. And when I got these emails back from these coaches, I would look for the little things. You know, what, what schools are replying? What schools aren't? Because that determined my decision. Like what, what schools are actually taking the time to reply to these guys? And there's also, you know, they, some of them listed their phone number below. So I would pick up the phone and call them. And then, you know, it, it was just a lot picking up on, on the little things, going through those progressions, I think helped me a lot for sure. Man. So you just out hustled everybody basically. Yeah, you, outwork, you just outworked. And that's what it is because I, I work with a lot of kids with recruiting too. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that I, you know, constantly is, is you can't just email somebody once or twice. Like what if it takes that you email them multiple times or what if it takes, if in your case, email a thousand emails, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to finally yeah. get to where you wanted to get to. And so I think that's, that's awesome that you did that. And now everybody else is going to know you did that too. And that you should be doing that if you're not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, one of the common sayings is if you're good, they'll find you. I I find that to be one of the biggest misconceptions in baseball, unless you're Drew Jones or Max Clark or one of those guys, because I've known plenty of players who are good enough to play at a power five level, even a mid-major level who went D2 or D3. I'm not knocking D2 or D3. Like, Whatever, like there's no such thing as D1 or bus. I think any level of college baseball is tremendously awesome. But there were guys who kind of hindered their potential, especially to get drafted just because they didn't put the effort in. So I think, and some schools even didn't reply to me until like there was a school Duke didn't reply to me until my 21st email, Duke and UCF. They were like, hey, we understand. Like we've gotten a lot of your emails. We know you're interested. Like we love it. Let's let's talk. So just that persistence and not getting rattled after the fifth or 10th email isn't returned doesn't mean they're not interested. It's just <laughs> they got other guys. And if you continue to show that, you know, you could be their guy and you continue to show your interest, then they're eventually going to have to say, all right, like let's, let's, let's show some interest back there. I think this is a, I'm, I'm really glad I asked you that question about recruiting because I, I had no idea you were going to say this, but I just think in general, most people, underestimate how much work it's going to take for them to get to where they want to get to. And it could be playing college baseball. It could be getting a job. It could be making it to the major leagues. It could be coaching, whatever it is. I just think it's, it's underestimated. And I think your, I mean, your story and and what you're talking about from a recruiting standpoint and and what you had to do is a perfect example of that. I mean, having to send 20, you sent 21 emails and finally the 21st email Duke Duke responded. I I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, at what point were you like, okay, maybe they're not interested? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I gave it some thought, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't shutting anything down yet. <laughs> so did, you, did you just have some massive Excel file that you just organized and tried to make sure, like, like how did you logistically make all of this work? Yeah, that's a really good. So that's what I first started out with was a file. And I actually... I was at, I was in seventh grade and my dad forced me to go to this big college showcase. I was in seventh grade 
It was Evan Agona Showcase, which is a really big showcase in Ohio. You, you, you may know him, you may not. And I sent an email to all the schools who were going to be there. And I put them on a spreadsheet, whatever. And I went there. And I think, you know, the youngest person was like a sophomore there than me. So it was a good adjustment. Good, good to get me in the feel of thanks. And then after that, I'm like, you know what? Let's kind of take this upon myself to fast forward to eighth grade freshman year. Take it upon myself to email these guys. And at first, I started off with a spreadsheet, which was my dad's idea. And then... I just went on RPI rankings and you could look up if we use Lipscomb, for example, Lipscomb athletic staff director and their emails are all in there. And then you throw them in there and then you email it to them. And, and, you know, I would say just, you know, finding that once, once I started emailing every week, there, all the emails and all the names just got planted into my head. So it was really easy to do that. But I mean, I know a lot of people have used spreadsheets, which was a really good way to do that. And, you know, for me to narrow it down to like who I was talking to and who I would still like to talk to, I wrote the school's names down of who I was talking to, the coach's name, and then who I would still like to talk to so I could characterize that and then start sending messages over the phone to the school I was talking to and then continue to send those emails to the schools that I wasn't talking to that I didn't have their information. So that's kind of how I did it. But obviously the more I emailed, just started to naturally remember the coaches' names and all the emails, which is crazy. But I know spreadsheets is a good way to do that. Would you would you do any background work in your emails on the school? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I had a template that would that was I wouldn't say pretty generic, but I had like coach the X. test scores and everything right, else. Right, like right. Yep. And then I would just obviously change the coach's name and I would put a fun fact in about the school. And then I would, you know, in the emailing say, if we're talking about Duke, go Blue Devils. Or, you know, if we're talking about something like go and then their, their mascot, just so you make it more personalized. And I think, you know, they also understand, you know, you're emailing other schools as well. So they understand, you know, that. And obviously they're, they're doing that back with the generic emails and the camp invites and such and such. But the more personalized you can make it, I think the better, because they obviously want guys who are invested in them and who are care about their program rather than just emailing a generic template, not really giving any details about yourself or their school. And then, I mean, if you're putting player Y and player X next to each other and player X and you're the equal player and player X puts, you know, more effort into learning about their school and knowing more and putting him himself first in terms of like fun facts about himself and what he's been able to accomplish, they're going to go with that guy. So. Love it. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. It's good inf- information. It's good for kids to to hear hear that it's going to take a a lot more work than they probably realize. How how did you, I mean, how did you decide on Lipscomb? Like what, when did they come into play? What email were they when they responded? (laughs) Yeah. So funny thing about them, they were a school that I didn't even email. I didn't know really much about them. I knew two years ago there in March Madness. So I kind of knew the name a little bit, but we were actually playing in Nashville and our game got moved to their field. And so we played there and, you know, I guess one of the coaches just happened to be there. You know, you know, I know our head coach was there and he does this for every tournament. He works tremendously hard on that field. He takes, he takes care of it like, like it's his own kid. So we, we were there and he was, he was making it look like outstanding for a 15U, 16U team. And I was in my, and I was in the dugout. And at the time, my dad was a volunteer assistant for my summer team. And I, I said, I want to play for that guy right there. Just, you know, when, when you're making a field look that good for a 15 U team, you know, you, you want to play for somebody like that. And we too, like when there's a tournament, like he has the guys help out and make sure it's like teams have the best experience there. So he was there and then he, he exited the field and, you know, I didn't even see any of this other staff around. So 
I think I had, you know, triple in there, two singles. And I made like seven plays in the field. It was something crazy. And uh, I got a follow on Twitter like two months after. And then five months after, you know, we, we set up a phone call with a guy I knew, at, with a player I knew at Lipscomb. And then that, that's when they offered me, which is really, really cool. And went down there again to, to check everything out. And it was, it was just all the boxes. And for me, I, I wanted to go somewhere I could play right away. And at that time, I don't want to say that they weren't the they weren't you know competitive, but compared to then and now, it's it's night and day. But just the opportunity of of being around you know the the staff who takes such tremendous pride in everything they do, and the guys I have in front of me, just to be able to learn. I mean, it's it's going to be the perfect situation that plays out for me. So that's that's yeah, it's crazy how that worked out. Where you you sent all these emails, and then you ended up getting recruited, not by yeah, him. Yeah. but but you would still recommend though that kids do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I was talking to, I think it was 32 division ones and three D2s. I didn't email many D3s. I emailed a few D2s, but yeah, it was a lot of, lot of power five D1s. How, and what year were you in high school when you were doing all this? Freshman. So I committed the fall of my sophomore year. Wow. Very so early. Yeah, early. And it wasn't so much, you know, I saw a lot of these kids committing for the hype. And, you know, they would go to these schools and then they would have to transfer because they weren't good enough. Yeah. And that's something that I just, I had no interest in. I thought it was really, really cool. I was talking to, you know, these big time schools and, you know, I mean, the, the former national champions, I mean, it was awesome. But for me, I was just wanting to go somewhere that where I was wanted, the coaches were, were dedicated and obviously the culture fit me and the program fit me and that standard that, you know, I was around and the, some of the practices I got to see, it, I mean, it was, I mean, I knew it was a perfect fit. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So you you committed to Lipscomb, which isn't a power five, when the oh. fall of your sophomore year. So you just got done with your freshman year and you committed to Lipscomb, whereas yep. I think the majority of players out there would, would especially if they're talking to power fives, they would rather wait to try to get one of those power fives than go to a, a school like Lipscomb. And that's a no offense. I mean, it's a great program. I'm not saying that, but you know how it is. Everyone's going to play at Tennessee or Georgia, one of those type of schools. So I think it's, it's awesome that you did that. And I commend you for doing that. Cause I think you're right. Going to a place where you're wanted is so big. It's so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that with like the D one or bus type things is players that aren't D one yet, but they can produce at a D two D or even Juco D two D three Juco NAIA where they can just grow and get better. I like I still don't understand the concept of guys not wanting to do that because I mean I know many guys out of you know Lake Erie College, Luke Rayley, and a lot of other guys, you know, who play D2, D3, who ended up in the major leagues and are starting for teams right now. And I think that's a really, really cool thing that people have to start to realize is there's more options than than D1 where you can go and perform and either stay or transfer, or you can go to something like a JUCO and just get better and produce into a D1. So I think. There's a lot of hype around going to D1, around high school, which is unfortunate where I would rather see, you know, kids start to pick schools based off their wants, interests, and needs. Mm. What What's your take on on the transfer portal? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it's pretty crazy. Did you ever think about getting in the transfer portal once you realized that you may not be starting this year? No, I did have, you know, some some schools reach out just to see, you know, how, how I was doing, what I did, but. For me, I, I mean, I was pretty set on staying at Lipscomb. And, you know, I, I do plan on 1,000% staying there throughout my career. And, and I think it's just a perfect, perfect place for me. But I mean, Wait, please, please don't. I don't want you to say the schools, obviously. But 
isn't that a little bit like interesting where you haven't even played your freshman year yet and there's already schools reaching out to you asking if about going in the transfer portal? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. But I mean, you know, like I tell people all the time, we're seeing the the commitments of players get younger and younger and younger. I mean, I and I think, you know, I essentially commend schools on that, which a lot of people don't. I mean, you know, if if you want to be a winning program, you kind of have to um, go out of the lines a little bit and, and scoop these guys up earlier. Else, they're going to get taken by somebody else. And I'm not saying that was my case with schools reaching out or whatever, but it, it was interesting that just because I didn't really have much innings or you know many stats or a scouting report even built on me yet. But the transfer portal is really crazy. I mean, it's an age of college baseball that we've never seen before. So we got guys who are 25 years old still playing and, and you know, kudos to them. But I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. We've never seen it. And obviously for, for people like like myself and other freshmen, it's certainly a tough time to get on the field early. So, you know, it's something that, you know, we, we just got to stay focused and, and grind through and just stay the course of the process and just stay focused on, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. So it's hard to get on the field now as a freshman, like you just said. So, and obviously, and I know, know you just said you're going to be at Lipscomb all four years, which is awesome. I, I 100% believe you. But if you could do it, if you could, if you were given advice maybe to someone else who was maybe similar in your situation in high school, knowing what you know now about the transfer portal and you got these guys transferring in, would that change your recruiting process at all or, or the schools that maybe you would want to go to or no? Yeah, I mean, I, that's a really good question, Patrick. I think, you know, it's it's even tough for, you know, those high school kids right now because more more focused and more offers are going to JUCO guys and transfers because, you know, they're right. older, they have experience, and they're really, really good at what they're doing. You know, it's tough. Obviously, for me, the big thing is if I were to tell somebody who's looking to transfer or kind of up in the air about a school is will the grass really be greener on the other side? So if you're at a school and you're not playing and you got a school, another school looking at you, that's maybe a little bigger, even a little smaller. Will the grass actually be greener? So will you get that time and, you know, will you get that enjoyment that you're getting at this? So essentially what I'm saying is, will your needs be fully meted at this other school compared to where you're at now? And that's a question that's, that's really tough because I haven't transferred and I, I don't really know much about that. But I think that's really up to players and their families just to kind of go about evaluating that. Obviously, it's really, really tough right now and a lot of good players in that portal. What about for kids in high school who were D1, but maybe they, they could go D2 and play right away? Like, what would you tell them? Yeah, I mean... Like I said, you know, playing at the D1 level, Patrick, I mean, right now it's it's crazy. I mean, you're looking at the power fives who are essentially pro schools. You're looking at the mid-majors who are like the power fives and you're looking at, you know, NAI ball, which is like NAI ball, which is like a D1. So, I mean, it's with the talent we're at right now, it's crazy. I would tell guys, definitely look, consider a Juco if you're not, you know, a top tier D2, D3, D1 starter. I think Juco is, is a very good route right now for a lot of guys just to get better. If you're a baseball junkie, if you're somebody who loves baseball, you don't really know if you want to go pro, I would look to go to that D2, D3 route where, you know, you obviously compete at a very, very high level, but you're able to see things through and, and see where you stand and go from there. D1, D1's tricky. You know, just, just depends. And you, you really have to have an honest conversation with the college coach hey, where, where do you see me at right now? Because a lot of these Power 5 schools are going and getting 90 guys where they're telling guys to get an offer and they get there and they're saying, sorry, 
we don't have enough money to fulfill your needs. And they got other JUCO transfers. So really the whole thing is a train wreck. It's really corrupt. You got to really have an honest conversation with a trustworthy coach because there are a lot of coaches out there who will say something and and scrap it. And, and you, you've experienced that? Yeah. I haven't personally. I know some buddies who have who have went through that from mid majors and power five schools. They'll they'll get money and it'll get scrapped. Personally, that that never sits welcome well with me. People who decommit and coaches who, you know, make an offer and then, you know, where, where is it going? That that has never sat well with me. I don't, I don't respect it. But again, you know, the, these coaches have to win, and these players got to be you know fully prepared and fully ready to make a decision. So I think both ends on the spectrum, you know, essentially a little corrupt there. I don't like it, but I mean, I think in terms of making an educated decision, you, you got to find a coach that you you put full trust in, where you can have that conversation, and he can give you that honest feedback of you know where you stand in the process there. Chase, what what's your major? I am a business marketing major. Okay. Yes, so what, what would, what's the thought behind that since you want to be a coach? Yeah. So, so essentially, you know, coming out of, we were throughout high school, throughout middle school, my goal was to go into medical device sales. My brother does that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You were in high school and you were like, you know what? One day I <laughs> yeah. want to sell, I want to be a medical device salesman. Yeah. So I think since, since middle school, you know, some of my parents just like, you don't have to have your full future planned out, but you know, have an idea. But for me, I love to have things planned out or when I don't, it bothers me. And that's something that I do feel I need to get better at. But, you know, my brother recently got into that. He loves it. And my dad and my mom are, are in sales as well. And I think I, I, you know, I love talking with people going back and forth. So that was, that was my interest. And I thought if college coaching doesn't work out, if the pro playing pro doesn't work out and even, you know, coaching in the pros, which I've had some, some MLB coaches tell me that would be, you know, a very good choice to coach in the pros. If that didn't work out, then I would. Yeah, always... I don't know about that. I don't know if I can agree with that, but. Yeah. So I don't know if I, if that didn't work out, if I would have something to, you know, fall back on that I would still enjoy and, and have a really good lifestyle out of. So that's really, I mean, I don't want to say I don't plan on doing that because things could change. But, you know, my, my big time dream is to be going to college and, and be a big time force at any school and just be able to recruit really, really well and have a very successful team and lead in a positive way. So would you be one of those coaches that recruit seventh and eighth graders? I would be. Yeah. I don't know if I would go. I don't know if I would go as early as seventh graders. And I don't know if I would go as early as offering eighth graders. You know, obviously I would have to look at, at the NCAA rules there in terms of, you know, how you can go about doing that. I know there's a lot of restrictions, but coaches still find legal loopholes to do it through. But I would be, because I think you look at it, and, you know, all these mid-major schools get mad when these when these kids commit to big schools, but it's really, there, there's nothing to get mad about because you're not the one taking the initiative to reach back out to them and say, hey, here's our camp. We would love to have you here. And, you know, I, I think for me, whatever school I'm coaching at, I think you got to get the guys off the board early. And in terms of putting a time frame off guys when you're offering them, I don't believe in that. I think that's really stupid. You know, any coach coaches that did that to me, it was an automatic no from me rushing me to make a choice. In terms of your question, I would I would definitely, you know, be recruiting guys to get them early off the board, even though it's a verbal, because that's, you know, going through the, in, you know, obviously the game is changing. I think I would go for a lot of these Juco guys as well, a lot of transfers, but in terms of getting talent, I think you, you got to go early or else they're going to get, get taken off the board. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I just don't know how that benefits the player, right? Because you're, the, the school isn't committing to you. You're committing to the school. Right. 
because they can drop you at any time if they don't like right. your development, which happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the really tricky part for me. That's something that I really don't like. Like I just touched on on both sides, yeah. just, the, just the lack of commitment from word to word. I think if I'm a coach, I want to be 110% sure in terms of where they're at now that they're going to project to be good enough to play at my school. And But you can't would, really do that when they're 14. Right. right. But I mean, that's that's the kind of you know risk and reward that you're taking there. And I mean, if I'm a coach and you know I really like a guy, I don't know if, like I said, if I would offer him as early as 14 or 15, but they would certainly be on the recruiting board, you know, following them to freshman, sophomore year and seeing how they're, how they're, you know, projecting there, you know, performing at that level. And I think if I'm 110% sure that, you know, I really like a guy, then I'll, I'll, I would definitely, you know, throw out an offer there. And for me, I, I'm a guy who sticks to my words. So, I mean, I say that I'm, I'm at Lipscomb all four years. I'm going to be there all four years. So if I'm a coach and I offer somebody, you know, obviously, you know, if they don't develop into the player that, you know, I thought they were going to be, then obviously that's, that's, you know, frustrating on my end, but I'm not going to remove, you know, something that was, was a lack of judgment on my end because they still could produce really well in college. Sure. Maybe they just maxed out early and they just had, you know, they didn't have the right coaches or the right people in their corner to support them and give them that extra push of this is what you need to work on. Let's do it. Right. So that's kind of my, my end on it. And again, things could change. Obviously when I read through the rules and, you know, I, I get a staff, and everything, but that's that's kind of my my view on it. Chase, I got a story for you that I think you'll like. So one of my one of my players was at I won't name the, the name of the school, obviously, off the air, I'll tell you, because the coaches aren't even there anymore. <laughs> They're not even there anymore. But he sat down like in a boardroom type setting, you know, in the conference room with the coaches, and they had this packet closed. This packet was just closed. It was like in a folder. And so they had the folder like kind of right in front of the coach and players on the other side and the coach says okay your offer like the percentage of what we're going to offer you is there's a number and it's inside this folder here so if i open it up the number's right there however you have to commit to us first before we open up the number before we open it up and show you what the offer is he was wow. like, no, we're not committing. <laughs> I'll tell you the name of the school after getting up committing to the arch rival, like not that far away. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's stuff like that where it's just, I mean, that's just crazy, right? I mean. Yeah. Wow. I've never, I, that's a first. That's I know, a first. right? I've never heard of that one either, but it was, yeah. He's like, yeah, we'll, we'll slide the folder across and you can open it up. And if the offer, the number will be right there, but. In order for us, for me to slide this folder across to you, you have to commit to us first. <laughs> Deep down, funny. I'd be like, "Sure, I'll commit to you. I just want to see the number." Like, ah, yeah, not good yeah. enough. I'll decommit. Yeah, I'll decommit. Wow, that is crazy. I know, right? Yeah. Wow. And I'm Man. sure there's there's stuff out there that happens all the time we even hear about. What yeah. What about the NIL? Is that are, are you looking to to get any NIL deals? Yeah, so I've I've had a few, and my first one was actually so I I don't know if you know, but I I opted out of my senior high school season. I didn't know that. So I opted out of there. A lot went into that decision, and a lot happened, you know, with the staff and what was going on that didn't really fit, you know, my my standards as a person and a player. So and I think a lot of people were also in the same boat there. But you know, obviously, I used it, and I had probably the best summer of my life with, you know, how hard I trained and how motivated I was there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of NIL, so I didn't play high school. So my first, so, so year, this past high school season, you didn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So my first 
deal was actually with Celsius and that, that was a fun one. And then I realized it was banned in NCAA. So I had to drop that, but that was a good opener for me. And I started to reach out to a lot of other companies. And so uh, I'm with, you know, Flowex Jewelry Now and Pro9, Jager Sports, Envision Clothing Company. I have my own clothing brand for performance on, you know, vintage brand athletes where I'm able to get some commission off, you know, people who purchase it, which is really, really cool. And I have about three or four more, which is really exciting just to be able to, and I've always, you know, I'm not really going off the end of NILs, but I want to be able to represent homegrown, I don't want to say homegrown, but more smaller mid-sized businesses where, you know, I have a platform to build off now where I can essentially help build their company form that, you know, they, they fit the morals and, and values that I stand. You know, they have really, really good, you know, products and a really good base of, and a, and a great idea of where they're going. And that's, those are people that I really want to help. And, and so, cause I was always like that with a vision and I had people who helped me. So my, my goal with that NIL is just to be able to, you know, help businesses get their name out there. And obviously for me to, you know, be able to represent, you know, their company on, on, on me, just any way I can to just be able to help those brands spread, spread awareness. And I think it's a really good opportunity for all athletes, essentially. What, why do you think it's a good opportunity for all athletes? Yeah, I think, you know, there are a lot of athletes getting paid millions of dollars for That's not me right now. I think it's a really good opportunity for athletes because they don't have time to get a job, right? So we got regular students in college who have you know, even on our off days, I have plenty of downtime and I hate downtime because I'm somebody who's always going, going, going. And these regular students have time to, you know, make money, get a job, you know, go to their class, whatever. Even in the summer, when you get to college and you're an athlete, you go through the season and then especially baseball, you go right to summer baseball with about a week break. So these guys, this is their job, you know, from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. They got class in baseball. Um, and so there's really no way for them to make money. And so I think it's only fair for, you know, them, obviously, as long as, and it could be bad for some athletes, like it just depends on person to person. But I think if your intention is to focus on getting better baseball and producing for your program and taking full advantage of your academics, I think it's, you know, fair for athletes that are sacrificing their lives for obviously something they enjoy, but don't have time to make money with a full-time job. This is their job. So I think it gives them the opportunity to, you know, build up some brands, but also, you know, get some profit in return for, for their efforts. And, you know, like I said, th this is their job. So you are making some money off of it. Yeah. And, and it's not much at all. I would say what I make my profits on is my guru performance with you know, the content creation through Instagram. And then I'm making a little through bit of your money. apparel. No. So I, I actually, yeah. Instagram came out with a feature where you make money posting once you hit like a certain viewer count, viewer count. So that's what I've been able to, you know, kind of, that's basically my, my job aside from baseball right now. And then, you know, through that apparel company, I'll get slight commission based off, you know, how many shirts sell this and that. So that's, that's really cool. But you know, I'm more in it for the brand just to be able to spread Gerber performance. And, you know, I, I do giveaways just because I, I love people, you know, supporting, supporting GP and my mission. It, it means a lot. So that's really what, what is your mission with that? Yeah, my mission. And the reason I started number one, I love baseball. You can probably tell from our conversation, love baseball. And obviously my dream is to be a big time coach, but you know, my mission is there are a lot of coaches who have zero clue what they're teaching on the defensive side. And it's hindering a lot of athletes. And, you know, they want to be called you know, coach and they want to do all this craziness. And for me, I don't, like, I don't want to be called coach. I just want to be known as Chase. And just the guy 
who, you know, studies the game and somebody who's very, very knowledgeable and always looking to learn more. And so through that, I've, I've built connections and I've had conversations with a lot of infield guys. Kaino Correa is one of them. Have a lot of great conversations with him, Jay Pryor, prior development. And it's really just always willing to learn and spread my knowledge so I can give kids and athletes at all levels the opportunity to grow, develop, and learn new things. Because when I, when I was growing up, I had a lot of people in my corner and a lot of kids don't have that. So I want to be the guy for them to be able to take after number one as a person, but number two, as a coach that, you know, they can, they can learn some, some insight on how to improve their game. And I do get a lot of messages on there, but I do my absolute best to answer every single message I get because I know how special to me it was when I reached out to a pro athlete or D1 athlete when I was in middle school and they responded. So that's kind of my mission. I, I want to do the same thing there. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, you, you do run a great Instagram account. I'm not on Instagram as much as I'm mainly on Twitter and LinkedIn right now, but you do a great job. We'll make sure to link to everything in the, in the show notes, but appreciate you coming on the show, man. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I had no idea what to expect having you on this podcast. Anybody who's 19 years old <laughs> coming on this podcast where coaches usually talk and hang out, but I think you crushed it. I mean, you hit a home run. Would love to have you on again, maybe after the season, recap the season, some of the things that you learned. So would love to have you back on again, but kudos to, to you, man. We'll be, we'll be thinking about you and following along and, and hopefully you'll be able to get some innings in this year at Lipscomb and, and make some things happen. But definitely very impressed with, with you, Chase the person, and wish you nothing but the best, man. Awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick. Like I said, this was just a fantastic opportunity to, to be on here and, and talk shop with you. Obviously, you're really, really good at what you do and obviously respect you know everything you've accomplished. So again, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. For sure, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, text it to a friend, email it to another coach. This podcast is going to grow by word of mouth faster than any other way. And I need your help in order to make that happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another brand new episode next week. (laughs) 